Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Creative Control with Joe Fiends. Episode 85. And my guest on this show is Pete Gass. Uh, Pete was in the Main Street Posse in the WWE. He was a hardcore champion over there. Had some great uh, matches, great tag matches. He was also in one of the highest rated segments in Monday Night War history. And his book, Looking at the Lights, just came out. It is available on Amazon, and we have a pretty good interview. But before I get into that, I wanted to tell it about what's been going on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I recently accepted a position to produce Keeping It 100 with Conan. And if you listen to this show, you're probably wondering, what does that guy know about producing? And he would be absolutely right. Because, um, yeah, I really didn't know much. Yeah, I'll be honest. I knew how to edit a little bit. I'm learning more and more as I go. And uh, it might actually make this show start to sound like a real show. But, yeah, I've been doing that for about four weeks. Uh, you check out the last four episodes. And I am uh, sporadically appearing little by little. And I produce the shows. I've scheduled guests. I've edited, blah, blah, blah. Uh, for me... Uh, I've said it on here, and I've said it on other podcasts, how much I have enjoyed that show. So uh, that wasn't bullshit. I really uh, did enjoy the show before I started uh, working over there. But, yeah, I'll be working on that show for the foreseeable future until I get fired. So that's that. Uh, check out Keeping It 100 with Conan on iTunes. And there's also a Patreon site, patreon.com slash Conan, for all the extra content. But coming up next on this show, as I said, is Pete Gass. We're going to talk about his book, Looking at the Lights. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff, uh, meeting uh, Shane McMahon and his teens, how they became friends, how he got into the business uh, as a member of Mean Street Posse with Shane. Um, he actually tried to get into the business years earlier. He tells a story about that. Uh, talks a little bit about Shane always being, uh, as he puts it, an adrenaline junkie, uh, as we just saw at WrestleMania last year with that crazy bump he took off the cell. And uh, he was known for those bumps earlier in his career, too, and apparently he's been doing crazy shit for as long as Pete knew him. Uh, we talk about the Main Street Posse, of course, teaming with Rodney, working with Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara, uh, working with the British Bulldog, uh, working with Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe on Raw, as I said, one of the highest rated segments in Raw history. Uh, we talk about the Main Street Posse's interaction with Test uh, and a, a serious fight that Pete actually almost got in with Test. What happened live on TV, too. Um, we talk about the addition of Joey Abs. Who the hell was Willie Green? Um, who almost portrayed Joey Abs? I'd never heard this one before, but yes, there was initially someone else who was supposed to be Joey Abs. So you'll probably find that interesting. Um, he reiterates a story that Mick Foley told in his book about Pete coming up to him and asking for the hardest chair shot he could possibly deliver to get them respect with the boys, and he tells that story. Uh, he talks about the Mean Street Posse being sent down to Memphis, how that was working in Puerto Rico. And the unfortunate day when he got the call 
the old good luck in your future endeavors call. And unfortunately, uh, that kind of wrapped up Pete's in-ring career. Uh, he returned for the, a reunion battle royal in 2007. And uh, we talk about performing there. And uh, what his thoughts were when Shane left WWE and also, of course, returned last year. Uh, all that and some other stuff. Uh, the Mean Street Posse, or at least Pete, almost went up in TNA. Uh, he was also the Power Pro Memphis Heavyweight Champion. And, um, yeah, we go over that stuff and some other stuff. As I said, Looking at the Lights by Pete Gass is available on Amazon at the moment. He will also be in Orlando at WrestleCon selling and signing copies of the book. Uh, I'm about three-quarters of the way through. I do recommend it. It's different than uh, the average wrestling book out there because, as I say to Pete in the interview, uh, as opposed to like a Bret Hart or a Hulk Hogan or whoever, um, you know, the average wrestling fan's kind of familiar with their stories. But Pete, I don't think uh, too many people are familiar with too much of his story, whether or not they even knew he was actually Shane's friend, uh, his love for the business, and different stories from backstage and in the ring that I don't think anybody uh, would have known if this book didn't come out. So I'm enjoying it. It's something different. I recommend it to you to check out. That is Looking at the Lights by Pete Gass on Amazon. And that interview with Pete is coming up next. If you want to go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Creative Control with Joe Feeney, I would appreciate it. Rate it, leave a review. There's a handful of good ones right now. Happy about that. And uh, you can also find it on Stitcher and Hipcast if you want to go to the Creative Control t-shirt store. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash CC with Joe Feeney. There's two new designs, six designs altogether. Uh, the two new designs, including the Backyard Wrestling Champion shirt, doing pretty well. Uh, so go ahead and take a look at them. Grab one if you are so inclined. And uh, if you want to check out the uh, my Twitter, where I keep you updated on Creative Control with Joe Feeney, and now keeping it 100 with Conan, my Twitter handle is J-F-F-E-E-N-E-Y. The number three is J-F-E-E-N-E-Y, 3-R-D. To keep up with uh, my thoughts on wrestling, politics, other bullshit, uh, creative control, and keeping it 100 with Conan. That is about it. I want to shorten this up, keep it as brief as possible, because as of right now, I am going to get off the computer and go watch the uh, Ring of Honor 15th anniversary show. So that is what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Um, real quick note, I believe Creative Control will be returning to the Icons of Wrestling daily at the UCW Arena in April uh, with Joel Gertner once again as our guest, and we'll get into more details with that as I iron it out. But other than that, that's about it. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, blah, blah, blah. Enjoy yourselves. Spring is coming. Winter's almost over. So, you know what? As a matter of fact, while it's cold as shit, why don't you go back and check out the Creative Control archives? We got Vince Russo, Jeff Jarrett, Bruce Pritchard, Tom Pritchard, Luke Hawks, uh, Danny Cage, Joel Gertner, Mikey Whipwreck, Blue Meanie, Mike Bucci, Disco Inferno, and a whole hell of a lot more. Les Thatcher, J.J. Dillon, and on and on and on. Check that out in the Creative Control archives. And after saying goodbye three or four times, this is actually goodbye.
Hello and welcome to Creative Control with Joe Feeney. This is episode 85 and my guest today is a former member of the Mean Street Posse, former WWF Hardcore Champion, and the author of Looking at the Lights, which is available now on Amazon, and that is my friend Pete Gass. Pete, how are you doing tonight? Good, Joe. How are you doing tonight? Doing very well. Doing very well. Uh, getting ready for the weekend here. I appreciate you coming on the show um, we're, as we're recording this on a Friday I, night. So, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, as I said, you know, we had you on the Conan show. Uh, you've been on uh, your segments have been on for the past couple weeks, uh, so that show's a little bit wilder. This is a little bit more a straightforward uh, interview show. So I guess the first question, uh, which is pretty obvious, usually the first question asked is: uh, Were you a wrestling fan when you were growing up? I was. I was always. Uh, I always watched it. I always had a love for it. I remember being a, a young kid trying to stay up, uh, stay up late um, on, on a Saturday night to watch uh, this big blonde guy who ended up being Hulk Hogan, uh, I just had a love for the business, and uh, I was Hulkamaniac in the 70s. Shows how old I am. But, uh, yeah, I, I've always been a fan and always uh, really loved loved the business. Now, for the people that, that are listening and don't know, uh, we'll, we'll get, of course, to the Mean Street Posse in that run. But, uh, you know, I don't think a, a lot of people are really aware that uh, it was, uh, it was uh, as true to life as a gimmick uh, could be as far as you being uh, actual friends with Shane and Rodney and, Talk a little bit about uh, how uh, you met those guys and how that friendship came to be. Well, when we were kids, uh, back back when we were in junior high school, there was three junior highs that were all rivaled each other. We all, you know, there was an Eastern, Western, and a Central. I went to Eastern, and Rodney and Shane actually went to Central. We played football against each other, and I actually lined up against Shane quite a bit. And uh, we, um, so I, I, I knew about Shane. I knew of him. I, his father was in the crowd, and you know, I remember seeing, you know, Vince being there and just being like, wow, there's Vince, you know, like really excited about it. And then um, when we got to, to, to high school, now we're all of a sudden we're on the same team and we all had a, a natural bond together. And we, uh, the three of us played offensive line. I'm sorry, Shane and I played offensive line and Rodney was a fullback and he didn't get the ball that much. So he pretty much was like an offensive line and he blocked a lot. And uh, we really bonded and, uh, you know, things just snowballed from there. You know, we just started spending all our time, you know, outside of school and football together, too, and we, we built a great relationship with River. Now, before uh, you guys came in in, uh, in early 99 doing the vignettes and, and eventually uh, coming down to the ring with Shane uh, for WrestleMania 15, had you ever tried to get into the business uh, before that time? I did. Uh, actually, when I was in, in about 23 years old in that, that time frame, uh, I went to Shane because I really felt like I could uh, I could do it, and uh, I remember going into his office. He had an office back then, and we, you know, I talked to him about possibly getting into the business, and uh, he really talked me out of it. He said, "You don't want to go." He says, "You'll have to pay your dues. You'll work for twenty five dollars a day. You'll uh, basically empty out your bank account because you can't afford to have a job because uh, no one's going to allow you to." to leave at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to go drive to a city and set up a ring because you'd be put on a ring crew and then when the show's over and certain certain wrestlers get to leave, you have to stay and, and unload and load the truck back up, take apart the ring, put it in the truck, and then drive it back to whatever city, you know, city that you're at. And you know, He really painted a, a lousy picture of what it would be like to, be, uh, you know, to just break into the business. Having having been his friend and uh, you know early in his uh, 
WWE, uh, his duties, he had refereed and he worked on the website and stuff like that. But having been his friend, were you surprised when he was uh, eventually going to take that step and, and start competing in ring in, in the ring? You know, of course, debuted against X Pac that year in '99. Were you surprised that he became an in ring competitor? Not at all. Shane's. Uh, it's funny. I have a, a nickname for Shane, and uh, we we joke about it. I call him an adrenaline junkie, and uh, Shane he is fearless. If there's one guy I could say that's not afraid of anything, it's, it's Shane O. Um, I've seen him. I've seen him do some stuff that's pretty crazy. Uh, I've watched him surf on top of a car on the highway. I've seen him do some real crazy shit. Excuse my language, but uh, that's fine. He's uh, he's definitely uh, like I said, an adrenaline junkie, and I was not surprised uh, the combination of him being a junkie and then uh, being uh, you know having his love for the business. It only made sense that eventually he would be a part of the show. Now, tell me about how the uh, the Mean Street Posse uh, gimmick came about. How did you first hear about it, and what was the uh, initial ideas uh, that were brought to you? Well, it, it started, uh, Shane was, like you said, going to face X-Pac at WrestleMania, and uh, he called Rodney and I and said, hey, because uh, he knew that we worked out at the gym at, at, at the WWE building, and he said, well, uh, do me a favor, Friday around five o'clock, come into my office. I want to talk, I want to ask you guys something. So we go in, sit down, just like a normal time visiting Shane, and you know a little ball busting. And all of a sudden, Shane Shane drops a bomb on us. You know, he says, uh, "I need you guys. Can you guys do me a favor on Sunday?" And being his friends, we obviously were fine with that. And he said, uh, "I need you guys to dress real preppy. I want you to go." Uh, go down to the studio and see Chris Chambers, and we're going to – he basically then pulled out a, like a folder or whatever, and he had a script on what, what the writers wanted us to say. And he tore it up, he threw it in the garbage, and he said, I don't want, you, I don't want it to be scripted. He goes, I want you guys – I want this to be natural. I want it to feel real. So I want you to tell stories about when you guys were kids well, – sorry, when we were kids – uh, running from the cops, getting in fights, just doing mischief, mischievous uh, things, and Chris is going to cut it up, and you guys are going to be on Monday Night Raw Monday night. So we we went down on that uh, we went down that Sunday. Uh, about two hours prior to that, Rodney came to my apartment, and we both drank a 12 pack of beer because we were nervous as heck. Right. And uh, so you, if, if you ever go back and see the video, you can kind of see that I look like I got a little bit of a buzz going on. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, and it was probably a bad idea for me because I'm a mellow drinker, you know, so I get mellowed out, but I just needed to take the edge off and Rodney gets hyper. So you can tell the, tell the two of them when you, when we get, uh, in the videos. So we are on, they show the vignette probably for three or four weeks straight and then bring us to Albany, New York. Uh, Shane challenges Xbox to a, uh, a street fight, a granite street fight outside in Albany. And, uh, we pull up with a couple other guys uh, who were in the early stages of the Mean Street Posse, and we, we jump out of Corvette convertibles, we beat up X-Pac, and then we all jump in the two cars and we drive away. Uh, so after that, we find out we're going to WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and uh, I read, we go down, we were part of all the festivities and everything. It was really a lot of fun, and we sat in the front row, and then we, we got involved. And uh, so the thing about it is that was supposed to be the end of it. I, and I, we thought it was the end, and I think a lot of people thought it was the end of the Mean Street Posse. About 10 days after that, Shane calls Rodney and I up and wants to see us again in his office. So when we went in, 
he handed each one of us an envelope. We didn't know what it was. And then he said, here, this is for you guys. It's your pay. Now, we looked at him, and, you know, like, we were kind of thrown off because we thought we were just doing him a favor, and we would have done it for free. You know, we had a blast. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, he actually said, you know, he's like, no, he's like, we're going to pay you for your time, and which was kind of comical to us because, you know, we just loved doing it. So uh, then he said to us, he goes, hey, Dad, do you guys have any vacation time? And uh, I was like, you know, we both had time because Rodney and I really didn't travel that much. We, uh, we didn't have much money, and uh, we come from, you know, middle-class families and scraping, scraping to get by and stuff. So we always had vacation time. Um, you know, extra vacation time, something like that. So anyway, we take we take vacation time. We go on the road with them. Uh, we did it for about a month and a half, and then we thought it was again it was over. And they called us back again and said, "Hey, we want to uh, offer you guys three one year, uh, three con three year contracts, three one year deals." But it turned out to be three years, and uh, that was it. And then it was time to start training. I remember, I remember that well. Uh, you know, obviously it was the Monday Night Wars and all that, and I was uh, just uh, turning around seventeen and stuff like that when when that stuff was airing. But I remember the I remember the promos you guys did, and like you said, there was a, like a dichotomy between you and Rodney. You were more the chilled out guy. Rodney was a little bit more hyper. And then I I think the fans kind of thought, okay, those were, those were funny. And then it's just building up to Shane versus Xbox. I don't think anyone expected you guys to show up. So when you guys pulled up in the car, that was like a real like humorous moment for the oh my god, they're actually here. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah, and then uh, and then when we eventually got to Mania, you know, Rodney and I were sitting in the we were sitting the, the five of us were sitting in the front row, and uh, there were signs in the crowd with Rodney's and mine and my name on it. You know, they say if you have a, a sign, you're o- over with the crowd, and mm-hmm. you know they have people in the back that look at that stuff, and you know they see what people are looking at. And I, Vince Russo told me that as soon as he saw the vignettes and saw the smug ad- attitudes on us. He knew he had something here, and he knew that he didn't want it to end just at WrestleMania. He wanted to keep us there for longer. Now, of course, you mentioned uh, WrestleMania. It was in it was in Philadelphia that year. I'm a, I'm a Philly guy, and uh, you know, there's always uh, talk about the Philadelphia crowd, whether it's wrestling fans or sports fans. Both supposed to be pretty hardcore. Um, what was your memories of uh, being actually in the crowd that night, and how, and how were the fans? Oh, it was great. Uh, we actually, so I'm a I'm a huge New York Giants fan for football, and. Uh, I remember sitting a couple rows behind us were a bunch of the players from the New York Giants. And it was cool because they were taking our pictures. They were excited to see us. And uh, it was just like one of those things where, you know, like you got the Philadelphia crowd. The Philadelphia fans are, are very intelligent uh, and they're very rowdy. And they definitely don't let mistakes happen without letting you know about it. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where there was certain people that – were excited to see us, and other guys that hated to see us because they were they believed the gimmick that we were rich uh, yeah. rich kids from Greenwich. You know, let's uh, I want to squash an internet rumor real quick, or maybe you can confirm it. Uh, of course, we'll talk about Joey Abs uh, in a little bit. He eventually joined you, but there was always a rumor that someone was going to come in and portray Willie Green and join you guys because there was a Willie Green in the vignettes. As far as you know, was that ever actually slated to happen, or was that just a rumor? Uh, as far as that was that was really Willie Green. Uh, oh. <laughs> that wasn't a joke, but okay. um, and Willie was actually one of the guys at WrestleMania. Um, no, I didn't know. But as far as you're saying, someone was going to portray him. Yeah, either someone was going to come in and portray him, or I guess now that you said that it was him, maybe he was actually going to come in himself and be a part of the group. Well, he was, like I said, he was at WrestleMania. He was mm-hmm. he was one of the guys sitting in the front row with us. Uh, it was 
myself, Rodney, Willie Green, a uh, friend of ours named Billy Pirro, and and another friend, uh, Chris Sahowitz, who was also Shane's college roommate. Hmm. And uh, the five of us went in, and, and uh, so Willie was there. He really was a part of it. It's just that they never uh, they never asked him to return after after Mania. They just oh. wanted to, to uh, keep Rodney and I. Now, you had mentioned uh, Vince Russo before. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I thought you had, I thought you had something to, to, to finish there. Um, well, you mentioned Vince Russo before, and around that time when you first came in, it was uh, Vince Russo and Ed Farrar were there uh, handling a lot of the creative. And, of course, you know, Vince uh, Russo has a reputation. Is either There's a lot of guys that are big fans of his, and there's a lot of guys that really hate his style and fans that hate his style and stuff like that. And What was your uh, dealings with Vince like, and uh, how did you like working with him? I, I loved him. I didn't have a problem with him at all. You know, like, it's funny because uh, if you read it, it, hopefully the people listening get the book and, li- and uh, they get to read the book and they'll enjoy it. Um, but, you know, like, Edge, Edge does my, is one of the people that does my forward, and he basically told the truth. He said, I didn't, uh, I always had a smile on my face. I was always happy to be there. I, I didn't allow a lot of things to bother me. Um, only a, a few things, uh, you know, and people didn't bother me. I was happy to be there, happy, you know, and as far as Vince Russo goes, I mean, the guy gave, gave me an opportunity and, you know, there was ink with my name on it and that pen of his. So how could I, you know, I had no, no, you know, I did everything that they asked me to do. Mm-hmm. I put over everybody. I, you know, I gave them, I, I took almost every finish, if not, did take every finish. Um, like I said, I was just happy to be there. No one and Vince Vince Russo was always, always great to me. Even to this day, is a, you know a, a good friend. One of the first matches you guys wound up having was with with Patterson and Briscoe, and that wound up leading to a Loser Leaves uh, Town match on Raw. And uh, you know another thing people might not be aware of is that actually at that time was the highest rated in ring segment of the Monday Night Wars was that match you guys had with uh, you and Rodney had with Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. Uh, what are your memories of that match? Well, I remember preparing for the match and uh by that time we were doing a lot of stuff uh dr tom pritchard was training us and we, we worked on things that we could do offensively which wasn't much because uh once we got to talking to briscoe and patterson about the match and what we were going to do pat clearly said he didn't want to be touched he wanted to just uh you know he was afraid that we were going to hurt him and i understand why i mean we were we were really green so the fact that, you know, the fact that that was, it was fine, and we put them over, and, you know, we, I remember just, you know, working hard to just make them look as good as possible, and I tried to take a crazy bump over the uh, the barrier, and uh, I remember landing flat on my back on, on a concrete floor and not giving much thought to it, and just kept going, and uh, it was good. It was so much fun, and Briscoe, Briscoe's a great guy. And uh, he really, you know, it's funny, in the middle of the ring, or like we'd be wrestling and he'd have his hand over my mouth so I couldn't breathe. And uh, he'd be sitting there laughing in my face and I'm trying to grab his arms off. And for an old guy, he was really strong. (laughs) He could still fight. He could still shoot. And eventually, um, that was, was of course, supposed to be the Loser Leaves uh, WWF match. But I think after the ratings came in, they decided, well, uh, we, we really don't want these guys to leave. So it, was that the plan where you exactly. they were actually going to take you guys off TV and then afterwards you get the you get the call saying uh, never mind we want you to come back. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like it was similar to that, but it was more like uh, you know when we lost that loser leaves town match we we went to uh, we went back home and a month later is when uh, I'm sure you'll remember this when Owen Hart passed away when he fell. Yes. 
um, we were home for that. And then, uh, you know, we were really upset. We were, I remember Rodney and I were in, in my living room watching, watching our pay-per-view and, uh, we were stunned. And then, but we really thought we were done. And then all of a sudden we got a call saying, you know, Hey, we want to bring you guys back. And that's when they gave us the three, three, one year contracts. Hmm. And, uh, and it was time to get to work. And then they brought us back in the, uh, corporate ministry. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Around that time, you guys had a match with uh, Mankind, uh, Mick Foley. I, I know Mick spoke about it in his book, and uh, there's a little bit of a, a story that he told about it. What, what were your memories of, of working with Mick and, uh, and kind of have the match with Mick? I think he, he put it as kind of a way that you guys wanted to earn respect through that match. Well, you know, we weren't getting respect. In the, in the You know, some guys were great to us, but others weren't. We had to really get uh, get respect. We wanted respect in the ring. We wanted to be accepted. We wanted to be an equal peer. And... We were never going to get it. It was going to be very hard for us to get it because of the way we got into the business. We didn't pay our dues. So we realized the only way we'd really pay our dues is if we showed everyone how tough we really were. And uh, this match that you're talking about, Mick Foley, um, there was a part where Mick Foley was supposed to hit us with chairs. And I pulled Mick aside and, and explained to him, you know, Mick, you know, we really want to be accepted here. And we feel like, you know, the way we do that is, Guys start laying it in as far as hitting us, and I said, "Nick, feel free to swing that chair when you when you know when you hit us." So he did. He smacked us. Did you? Uh, how was that afterwards? Did it really? Did it ring your bell? Or I mean, afterwards, did you had you kind of shaken it off? Yeah, I was fine. I mean, we uh, Nick's pretty good. You know, he didn't really he hit us hard, but he didn't really you know he didn't try to hurt us. He just tried to do exactly what what I asked, and it worked. And you know, as time went on, the more of those beatings that we took. We, uh, you know, we got accepted. You know, we became uh, we became part of the locker room, which was the most important thing to us. How did uh, the the Joey Abs deal come about? Where they they had brought him in to be a third member of, of the Mean Street Posse group? Well, what, what happened was when they resigned when when they signed us to the contracts. Now they had to find a way to keep us involved. They just decided to give us contracts. They got to do something. So they figured while we were still learning, and you know learning all about wrestling and, and taking bumps and, and you know everything that goes with it, they'd bring in Joey Abs because Joey Abs would be able to work a match and we would be able to get involved in different ways. And there was the, uh, that was around the time also that Shane started feuding with Test and had the, the lover-leaver match uh, over Stephanie with Test at SummerSlam. Uh, what were your memories of that feud and of working with Test? Well, I didn't like him. Uh, no. Test, and, uh, Test, he really didn't, he didn't like us and he didn't respect us and he was real, uh, not only was he stiff, but he was kind of like, I, and I guess dirty's not a good word, but he was he was just kind of a, a, a dick about it. And, uh, you know, that really, a couple times he kicked me and he actually, you know, went to give me a big boot and kicked me in the throat and he laid it in and he mm. tried to, you know, and it really kind of pissed me off. And I remember being being outside the ring and him being in the ring and, he, you know, he had popped me pretty good and I remember... Uh, screaming back at her. I was, I was literally, I was real hot. And I told, you know, I was yelling. I couldn't curse because it was television, but I was ready to fight, to be honest with you. And, uh, but then as time went on, we, and the more stuff we did with each other, and then when we had to prepare for SummerSlam, that's when we really bonded quite a bit. And uh, we, we spent the whole week together going over this match over and over again, and it really turned out to be something special. And years later, um, I, had, I had given tests. I went to the office at, at uh, the WWE, 
and I I talked uh, I talked someone to give me a bunch of those tapes from that from that SummerSlam. And I sent one. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm to test. And he called me to thank me. And he said, you know, he said, thank you so much for bringing us. But it made me realize how much you guys really made me look good and put me over. And that match really put me on the map. Mm. Oh, and that meant, that meant a lot, you know. Yeah. So that was that was big for us. That fall, they wound up uh, pairing you guys with the British Bulldog for, I don't think it lasted uh, too long. We teamed up with them at Survivor Series. Uh, how did that come about, and what are your memories of working with Bulldog? Uh, when, from what I was told, they were uh, looking to have uh, Bulldog. Bulldog was, supposedly wasn't getting enough heat on his own, and we were we were really getting a reaction from the crowd. I mean, the crowd really loved to hate us, and uh, it felt like it would be a natural fit, and it would bring a lot of heat if the British Bulldog brought in the Mean Street Posse to be his bodyguard. And uh, it really helped the storyline, and they had him going after Test, you know, and it was, uh, it was definitely good. He was, a, he was a great man, and he was a lot of fun and made me laugh all the time. And uh, I miss him. I miss him a lot, actually. The, uh, the change, there was kind of a little bit of a change after that. Uh, you guys wound up both wrestling uh, some hardcore matches and wound up in that hardcore battle royal at WrestleMania 2000. And I just uh, I actually rewatched it the other night after after we had spoke uh, via Conan show and and, and uh, other times and I wanted to rewatch before I spoke to you on on this podcast because I remember that you bled pretty well and I wanted to ask you about that and uh, wrestling first wrestling that hardcore style were were you comfortable with wrestling in, in matches like that where there's you know all kinds of weapons and bumps on the floor and stuff like that Yeah I mean I, like I, like I said before we were looking to show how tough we were uh, and try to earning earning that respect so for us we were uh, yeah, you know, we were doing the hardcore stuff was different than doing a regular match because there's there's really there's philosophy in that match, but there's, it's just a, a different type of philosophy. And you know, it was stuff where a lot of it was ad libbed, and we were able to get you know just do things. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I I remember just you know it was you know of course it was a little rough on your body, but it was fun to do, and it got a great reaction from the crowd. So the adrenaline's flowing, and you don't feel anything until you know. You're in the car leaving the arena heading to the next city. You can uh, get as in-depth here as you want, or it's up, it's up to you uh, how you want to answer. But was that, did you, uh, you know, if you, want, if you want to use the insider terms, had you bladed it that night, or was it a, was it a hard way? No, that was hard way. It was hard way. Uh, someone, yeah, oh, go ahead, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to say, did you know uh, exactly what? I know exactly. So, <laughs> and it's actually on video, you can see it. Uh, at one point, I don't know who it was, but someone decided to put a box fan in the uh, in the match. Yep. Whoever's doing the prop, and Viscera hits me with this box fan, and the centerpiece that you know holds it all together ripped up my head uh, up in the hairline, and I started I started bleeding. So I didn't know I was bleeding, and I went down, and all this is on video. So you, you see me you see me get hit, you see me go down. I'm, I'm laying down. And the camera just happens to be coming around the corner of the ring because we're right on the outside of the ring. And you see this hand point at me from the crowd, some guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember that guy just, I remember that guy because I felt like I was sweating. 
because I felt like li- like liquid going down my face, and I hear the guy yell, "Pete gas is bleeding." Mm. So I look down and I got a puddle about the size of a softball right in front, right down there. So I was fine. I wasn't hurt. I didn't feel like I had a concussion, and I was just bleeding. And so I kind of made like that. Uh, I don't know. Like if you had to go to the bathroom and you really couldn't get it out and you were pushing. I was pushing the blood out of my head, and I, I, you know, I really tried to get it, and uh, I got it all over me. I got it out of my face, you know, all over my face and everything, and it really worked. So, um, but again, you know, that once you, once you're, I was that beat up, I just felt like now it's just time to put people over and sell this thing like I just got shot or something. And I just, and it, again, that's where it's all ad libs with the, uh, with hardcore. And uh, I remember Ron Simmons. There's a picture in my book. Uh, of Ron Simmons, actually, he's got me, and he's about to ram me into the a barrier. So what he did was, right before he, in this photo, <clears throat> he pulled me, you know, he grabbed close to me, and he, he whispered in my ear, are you okay? And I just said, yeah, I'm fine. But there was so much activity and so many weapons and stuff being where I was, he pulled me out of there to make sure I was safe, and then that's when he hit, hit you know, got on me outside the ring, because, I know he didn't want to get hit with anything when he wasn't expecting it, and so he wanted to, you know, he just took advantage of that that opportunity to get me out of there and protect me. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, it, it did work, and I think what made it so memorable and the fact that I remember it, you know, 17 uh, years later is the fact that, you know, you were bleeding and you had that the, the outfit on with the sweater and the sweater was all bloody, and it just made a very memorable visual. And uh, just like the, just like the guy in the crowd, I think a lot of people were kind of like, "Oh my God, they got they got Pete, you know, Pete's bleeding." <laughs> so, yeah. in fact, there was about three of us got hit with that uh, box fan, and all three of us bled. I know Ooh. Crash Holly bled, and uh, someone else bled too, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was all three of us. It was from the same uh, same prop. You guys uh, definitely had a fair amount of tag team matches, and, and some of the teams uh, that you guys wrestled, one was, of course, the Acolytes, the APA, with uh, Bradshaw and Farouk. The Dudleys, you guys had some encounters with them. Both teams are kind of, they kind of have the reputation for being a little stiffer in the ring. Uh, was that your experience with those guys? How were those matches, and, and did it seem to you that it was a little stiffer than, uh, you know, normal? Oh, without question. Um, Bubba, Bubba Ray and Devon were, they were pretty good. Um, Mosh from the Headbangers and I got very close, and, and you know, I think when he saw that one one night we were on the card with him and uh, it was a posse versus the Dudley boys and he he pulled us pulled him aside because uh, we were also doing stuff against them and in, in, like an indie show and we were real green at the time and he just he looked out for me uh, Chad, his name's Chaz Warrington Chaz pulled Bubba aside and kind of told him you know listen these guys are green they're good guys they want to learn you know don't don't kill them and uh, but as far as the acolytes go. You know, part, like I said before, part of our paying our dues was getting our butts kicked. And Bradshaw, really, you know, they really laid it in pretty good. And you know, they were uh, they were testing us, and uh, that's what I, you know. That's basically what happened. So they, you know, they Bradshaw hit me on a Monday Night Raw with a chair that wrapped around my head, and uh, he told me months later that the fact that I came backstage after the match and said thank you that I really earned his respect that night. And that meant a lot because, you know, that was what I was going for. And I respect him so much as a, not only a person, but as a worker, that it meant a lot to, for him to feel that mutual respect. Now, how did it come about um, that you, yourself and Rodney, uh, wound up going to the developmental territories? At that time, we were in Memphis, I believe. 
how how did yep. you uh, how did they come to tell you guys that? And is that something that you uh, were comfortable with and looking forward to? What was your um, mental state at the time when they said, "Hey, we want to kind of get you down there to get a little more seasoning"? Well, there was only so much you could do in uh, a studio uh, with a ring, and you really need to go out and get the experience in front of a crowd. So they sent us to Memphis. So when we weren't doing television, they would have us down in Memphis. We'd be doing shows all over the Mid South. And uh, it just gave us the opportunity to work in front of smaller crowds and get a reaction from them and, and just really put a kind of hone our craft a little bit. Who else uh, was down there at the time that you remember that were kind of uh, under WWE contract but were just down there to train and, and get ready for, for the uh, main stage? Uh, I think the guy's name was called Daniel Bryan. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was there. Uh, Lance Cade. Spanky, mm. uh, who was Brian Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's currently on the roster? Tay um, Crush, who's uh, also known as Ron Killings, mm-hmm. he's on the roster. There's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, and you know, Thrasher came down for a while. Viscera was there. Um, Blue Meanie was there. Jasmine St. Clair, the porno mm-hmm. star, she was involved with uh, wrestling. Yeah, she was there in developmental. Uh, Bobcat, right. she was there. Uh, a wrestler that was actually supposed to be. Joey Abs, Steve Bradley, who was a phenomenal wrestler. I had a lot of great matches with him down in uh, down in the Memphis territory. He uh, he was supposed to be Joey Abs, and he ended up getting mono. When oh, he shit. got mono, they hired Jason Art to be mm. Joey Abs, and then it was sad because he never got to have a shot. But it worked out best because Joey Abs was like a brother to me. So. I actually uh, ran across some of those shows on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen them or ever seen them or seen them in years. Uh, if you want, I could send you a couple of links. I, I think there was a show where you see Rodney as Rod Rages and, and uh, Bruce Pritchard was down there doing some stuff and Michael Hayes, and it was it was really entertaining. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun with that. And, they, you know, they also – we would work for – the company's name was uh, Memphis Championship Wrestling, MCW. Right. And then uh, we would – to do Power Pro Wrestling on Saturday mornings, which was Jerry Lawler's uh, gig, mm. and it was live television, live television on Saturday mornings down in Memphis. And uh, you know it's a tradition down there, and that was a real honor to be down there doing that. And uh, I actually was part, I was uh, the heavyweight champ there. I had beat Steve Bradley for the belt, and then two weeks after I won the belt, the affiliation with Power Pro Wrestling and WWF or WWE now. Uh, went away, and once that went away, I was stripped of my belt. So I never lost my belt. I still consider myself a Power Pro champion. <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, how did it come about for the end of your uh, of your run there? I, if I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, that maybe it was it had to do with uh, the WCW coming into WWE and the ECW guys coming in, and maybe it was just an overstacked roster, and uh, you and Ronnie may have been victims of that. Is is that accurate, or is, is there another uh, story behind that? Yep. That's the way I. That's exactly the way I was uh, led to believe it. Um, definitely seems that uh, you know I was. They had transferred me to Puerto Rico, and I was uh, working there. And, and uh, I had spoken to a gentleman by the name of Dennis Brent a few days, about a week earlier, and he had told me that uh, I would be getting called up real soon to be in WCW to be with Shane. And turned out that those plans fell through, and. We all just got released, and it was probably one of the worst feelings in the world. Did you consider uh, continuing at that time, or did was did you kind of figure, well, I've I've been on this main stage, and you know now that we're done here, I'm just I'm done. Yeah, pretty much. I I really uh, I really just uh, 
I had no place to go. Um, there was 9-11 hit, and so people weren't doing sh- uh, shows. The business really, in the, the indie show business really went downhill. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to spend money, and everyone was kind of worried about it. So it just kind of uh, just kind of worked out where uh, there was no place for me to go after that. So I just uh, it was time to get a real job, you know, something that uh, a nine to five or job. I mean, it really, I don't want to tell you, but it really sucks because when I was looking back and researching, you know, I noted that you had started wearing uh, tights. It looked like you got in really great shape for, for when you were in, in Power Pro, and then you know, all this stuff happens, and there's this influx of guys, and you guys, unfortunately. Like I said, we're the victims of that. Um, you came back. You did the the 15th anniversary of Raw Battle Royal with a bunch of different guys. Uh, how did that How did that come about, and how was it uh, returning to Raw? I got a call from Shane probably five days before it, and uh, I was planning on going to the show because it was only about a half hour from my house. And Shane Shane called me I think that Tuesday, maybe it was a Wednesday. I don't remember exactly. And he said, uh, he says, "Hey, he goes, uh, you're coming to the show, right?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "You want to work?" I was like, you're kidding, right? And, I was, and he's like, no. And I was like, of course I want to work. So I really didn't have much time to prepare, uh, but I knew I was going to be in a battle royal. And uh, he just called. He just told me when he called me that Howard Finkel would be in touch with me with all the details, and he would see me on Monday. And that, that was it. Throughout those uh, those years, I guess it was from you know 2001 to, to 2007 when you came in and did the battle royal. Uh, had anyone else been in touch with you? I mean, uh, you guys had a good uh, relationship with, with Vince Russo. He had done some other things with, with a promotion in Australia and with TNA. You never heard from any, any other uh, promotions that kind of wanted to bring you guys in? Well, Jeff Jarrett did. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett asked us to do it and uh, asked me to be a part of it. And then, like I said, nine eleven hit and everything kind of just yeah. went sour after that. Uh, shortly, I think it may be a year or so after the Raw anniversary is when um, WWE made the announcement that Shane was leaving. Uh, you know, I know you guys are friends and stuff, so you don't have to get too too in depth with it if you don't want to. But is that something that you ever, you know, considered that one day Shane would actually leave the company? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I was uh, I was probably as shocked as the rest of the world uh, that loves wrestling. Um, me personally, knowing how much he loved the business, uh, I figured that you know whatever he had his reasons. Um, we don't re- we never really discussed it. We never really got a part of it. Um, and uh, I always. I always had my ideas, and he had his idea. You know, he has a feeling that I have my ideas, and I've always been there for him. Either you know, as well as he's always been there for me. He's been there for me so many times, but I wanted to be there for him emotionally. If he needed to talk, and he's uh, you know, he sell he's he kayfades everything. So he uh, you know, he it was one of those things where I guess you know whether it was his wife, or whatever, he had his issues with uh, with the company, and wanted to leave, and that was his. His prerogative. And then, uh, you know, early last year is just as shocking to people that, that when he left was his return. There hadn't been, you know, too much scuttlebutt around about it. I think it was, uh, you know, really well done by the company because I don't think anyone really expected it. That music hit, and I remember I was watching live, and sometimes you're watching and you're looking at your phone or you're doing this or you're cleaning up. And I remember I was in my kitchen and I kind of, you know, ran back into the living room. I was like, shit, like, what are they, what, what's going on here? Uh, did you know he was coming back or were you just like everybody else watching, shocked out of your seat? I did not. In fact, mm. the, the night that uh, he came back, I had spoken to him earlier in the day, and he was delivering uh, his son's guitar to him at school. And we were talking, and I and then he uh, he ended up uh, being on Raw that day. And I talked to him, you know, the next day, and I said, you know, you can't fade me. What are you doing? And he said, well, 
He goes, I didn't case baby. He goes, I just didn't tell you that I was leaving after I was dropping off the guitar to get on a plane to go to Detroit. <laughs> right. But uh, I knew I knew when uh, watching Monday Night Raw and Vince uh, Vince McMahon said he was going to fight Undertaker. I popped when I heard that, and then as soon as he said it was going to be in a hell in a cell, my jaw dropped. I turned to my wife and I said, "We're going." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Really? You want to go?" And I was like, "Yeah." I said, "Cause he's jumping off that. He's jumping off that cell." Yeah. I knew it. I, I knew that he was going to do that spot because I know Shane and knowing that he wanted to, you know, he always tries to steal the show. And I knew that was going to be one of the high spots of the uh, match. And I, I wanted to be there for him. Prior to that, uh, when you when you were still uh, in the company and, and Shane was kind of in his first first run as an in-ring competitor, he took several uh, bumps like that. There was one with Steve Blackman, one with uh, Big Show. Was there ever a time when... You know, you knew that was coming, and you were you were worried for him, or did you always kind of figure, you know, he knows what he's doing, they're going to protect him, and, and he'll probably, you know, it'll turn out okay. Well, I would love to say that, you know, he, I, I would, I was feeling okay, but you never feel okay when, especially when he's falling fifty feet or wherever he was falling, yeah, from the side of a Titan Tron or on the Big Show or, you know, all the stuff that he does, he's fearless, and to me, to be honest with you, he's just that's just his style. You know, he doesn't. He has no regard for his body, and, you know, again, it, he does it for the business. He loves the business. For, uh, just before we talk about your book a little bit, for me, I think one of the one of the only things they have left uh, for present day is, I mean, they have the network, they put out all these specials, but I think at some point they should get the uh, the Shane McMahon life story and DVD going and, of course, interview you guys and stuff like that. And I think the whole having him talk about leaving the company returning would, would be a huge deal for them and i don't know maybe they've already maybe you guys have recorded that already i don't know but i just i think one day that would be a really interesting story especially with you guys involved um let's talk about the book a little bit obviously uh it's called looking at the lights it's available on amazon and um i think uh you know i've obviously read uh, the majority of it and i think it's 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 a great story and it's it's different because you know you you read a hulk hogan or a rick flair book or you know steve austin and guys like that and it seems like you know, you know a lot of this stuff before you read it, but from your story, there's a lot of stuff, you know, people didn't know about you getting into the business and, and your friendship with Shane and different backstage stories and stuff. Um, so it's it's different than a lot of the lot of the books that have come out. Um, what led you to uh, to writing the book? Is that something you always had in mind? I always wanted to. I, for some reason, I you know, I took photos when I was younger. And uh, I mean, when we were first getting into business and I remember seeing things and I remember actually saying out loud, someday I'm going to write a book and this is going to be in there. So when I did that, I, uh, you know, I always wanted to write the book, but didn't know how to get it started. And then I got connected with John Robinson, who did a great job with the book. And he was able to go and uh, get a lot of stories out of me and then put them in a way that made a lot of sense, much better than I could have. And But we both did a lot of the writing together and uh, back and forth, sending sending the uh, book to each other back and forth, adding stuff, subtracting stuff. And, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do because I got to make a friendship with John Robinson, but the story itself, the book itself, the best way I could explain it, it's a unique story, and any fan of wrestling that watches wrestling has got to understand, like, they, at some point or another, they have looked, they've, they've thought, they've watched wrestling and said, geez, I wonder what it's like to be in the ring with The Rock. Mm. And, you know, the thing about it is Vince McMahon took two guys off the streets with no experience. We had, Now, we have athletic ability, and we have an athletic background, but we really, that's all we had. We had no training, and he put us in the ring and basically said, don't kill yourself. And uh, 
you know, we went and every day we tried to get better, and, and I think we did, and uh, I know we did. And uh, it was one of the, that's what the story's about. It's got a, it's got a feel for it, it. It allows you don't even have to be a huge fan of the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era itself, if you're a fan, you'll absolutely love the book because it, it tells stories about the Undertaker, The Rock, Stone Cold, Mick Foley, um, you name it, and uh, it really. It really gets out there and, and gives you a perspective of what things were like backstage. And like I said, it's a real fun book to read. And it's one of those things where, you, like, I have people calling me saying, I, I started reading it and I can't put it down. So that made me feel pretty good. And um, I'm excited about the book. And I always thought it would be cool to have a, a book about your life. And I'm glad I did it because a lot of people are coming back to me and telling me how much they appreciate uh appreciate the book yeah i've i've enjoyed it a great deal and i'm looking forward to uh to finishing it and um now uh before we close out here obviously like i said looking at the lights is available on amazon but uh you do have some appearances coming up where you'll where you'll, be, you'll have the book and you'll be autographing it right aren't you going to be down at wrestlecon uh yeah planning on being on rest at wrestlecon i wasn't planning on doing it at first when i made my plans to go to uh florida so i don't know if i'm going to be there for the friday uh signings but I, I will definitely be there for uh saturday and uh i plan on bringing copies of the book so um from what i understand from what people are telling me they really want me to bring it so it's going to go fast i'm excited about that and i'll have eight by tens and i was going to do t-shirts but i just feel like it's a lot to bring down and get oh, too yeah. many <laughs> with everyone there you know i don't think i'm the top priority but I, the main thing is that book i'm sure people are you would like uh from what I hear, people want autographed copies of the book, so that's pretty exciting. Like I said, I've I've greatly enjoyed it, and I've heard nothing but good buzz about it. So for anyone listening that wants to check it out, you know, if you're not headed down to Florida, maybe you want an autographed copy, you can always go on Amazon.com, and it's available now. And that's Looking at the Lights by Pete Gass. Uh, Pete, I want to thank you very much for coming on, like I said, especially on a Friday night. Uh, it's much appreciated. And, um, yeah, man, I'll, I'll keep in touch. I'll probably actually release the show within the next hour or so, and I'll also be down uh, in Orlando, so I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you. If I see you on that Saturday, I'll, I'll come over and say hello. I look forward to it. You know, growing up in Greenwich isn't something that is easy for any of us. It's not like these poor scum towns that are all around us. They think they're going to kick our ass in football. Shane just seems to like to, once in a while, get a little rowdy and crack some heads. He'll kick ass just like any other tough guy. Or he'll, he'll kick ass just like any other bum or scumbag or Julio. Because he's Shane, and he can do that. Because he's just because he's got money doesn't mean he's a A lot of times the poor kids, they just have to do it for survival. As far as, like, beating someone's head in. We do it because we enjoy it. We have nothing else to do. Well, guess what? We got the better facilities, better gyms, better equipment. What do you want to do? Well, you got pipes like the kid or Smack Daddy or Pete Gas or Willie Green can't handle it, baby. You know, there's a lot of tough guys in Greenwich. It just seems like Shane's the toughest. If you see Shane O'Mac and a Grizzly getting into a fight, you better help the Grizzly because that kid is not going to give up. He'll cut his throat. He'll do whatever it takes, rip his eyes out, bite him, bite his arm. Mac Daddy was no one to be messed with. The thing about growing up with Shane is that he's he's tough. And it, whenever we're out with him, we know we're okay. Well, we're simply hanging out by Rolls Royce of Greenwich, right at the light, 
what happens? These beaters got to look at us, stare at us through the back seat. He goes, why don't you go yourself? I, what? Me? Mad Daddy, we got a problem up here. So Shano came out with his patented flapper foot action kick. Bang, wham, boom. It's over. Oh, Shane was an animal. Our friend Willie Green, his dog got ran over flat by the neighbor. You know what? The entire town of Greenwich is going to pay now. Shane O'Mac driving down the road, flying with the F-250, taking mailbox after mailbox, pulling over once in a while just so we can have a battering ram to smash the rest of the mailboxes off. We're bored. We were the king of the town. Because we're rich punks that got tons of money, baby. And you know what? You can't do nothing about it. It's basically about the sicknesses in all our heads. We beat each other up for the fun. We're untouchable. You understand know what I'm saying? We're the best. The green machine, Mac Daddy, the kid, Pete Gas. You can't handle all this at once. That's all we need. Four people, that's four sides. There's no way you can penetrate us. One night we're in the bathroom taking a leak. Some idiot comes in there. This guy was saying how tough he was in the bathroom. <clears throat> it's a wall. What's that? Punches his hand through the balsam wood door. I could have done that with my finger. Green takes a bottle. Boom! I broke a beer bottle over my head. I say, yeah, and I chewed the glass. Blood dripping down. <laughs> you think you're that tough? Next thing you know, a guy comes out and says, you got an attitude problem? I go, yes, I do. You know why? Because I'm me, Willie Green. The guy punched me in the face. So now there's 20 guys on, too. <laughs> I'm getting kicked in the cheese. There's blood hanging from everywhere. I'm going, Mac, I need help. McMahon comes around, tackles everyone. There's a big pile in the middle of the hallway. Boom. Crash. Right through the window. <laughs> we win. We always win. No matter what it is, if it's a spot of sickness thing, we are going to win. Nobody else is going to win. You can't beat us. We're the best. And there's no one better than Shane. You know why? Because... This is how good friends we are. I walk up and punch him in the face. He'll say, thank you, Will. I needed that. We got in a fight in Florida, me and him, because neither one of us wanted to sit in the back seat. We got biggest fist fight. He threw me out. He said he beat me up. And there you see Shane McMahon, folks. We're back in an alleyway outside the Pepsi Arena, live in Albany, New York. It's a Greenwich Street fight. X-Pac oh. versus Shane McMahon. They'll meet in six days at WrestleMania for the European title in the ring. It's but about, tonight, it's where Shane McMahon it's walks. It's about 36 degrees outside there. Shane's already out there waiting on X-Punk. Oh, this is great. X-Pac now heading for the alleyway. Set to take on Shane McMahon in what's been deemed a Greenwich Street fight. And there's Shane. And here we go. Look at that gutsy Shane. He's ready for him. Get it, Shane. Oh, watch yourself, Shane. Oh, what a kick. Oh, my gosh, he's on the concrete. King, I'll tell you what, it's freezing cold out there. Wait a minute. Look at him. the hell? Look at him. They just jumped. They just jumped that box. Hey, King. You know who that is? King, that's, that, that, that's the Greenwich Classic. That's the Greenwich Classic. Look at Randy. That's Pete Gass.